This is Cindy Barnes, co-author of Selling Your Value Proposition, How to Transform Your Business into a Selling Organization, and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which is named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's actually working in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com, which is also where you can sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. And marketingbookpodcast.com is also where you can send me a message with any comments, suggestions, or recommendations for the show. I love hearing from listeners like you from around the world. I'm also on Twitter. My Twitter handle is marketingbook or connect with me on LinkedIn. My name again is Douglas Burdett. I respond to every single message I get from listeners, so please introduce yourself. And now, on with the show. Today, we welcome Cindy Barnes to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about the new book she has co-authored with Helen Blake and Tamara Howard, Selling Your Value Proposition, How to Transform Your Business into a Selling Organization. After many years with Capgemini, where she led service development, sales, marketing, created new business units, and was a client-side consultant, Cindy founded Future Curve, which applies best practices around innovation and psychology to sales, marketing, business development, and strategy. An engineer by training, she began her career running large-scale factories for Smith's Industries. She later led research and development for Panavision, where she developed a technical product range, which is still their most profitable one to date. Cindy is also the co-author of Creating and Delivering Your Value Proposition. And at the end of the interview, Cindy's going to tell us how you can win a copy of the book. And interesting fact, she is clinically qualified in transactional analysis, a member of the British Association of Counseling and Psychotherapy, and the British Psychological Society. Cindy, congratulations on selling your value proposition, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Douglas, thank you very much for that lovely introduction, and I'm delighted, really delighted to be talking with you today, and thank you so much for this invitation to your podcast. Well, it's my pleasure, and I think the listeners are really going to enjoy it. And I just have to say, in the, the building where my office is, there must be a dozen psychotherapists. I, I think, uh, I think there, there's something about how they're attracted to me. <laughs> or, or they wanted to be near us a good source of business. So who knows? Who knows? But hopefully, we'll be able to get through this without, without too much trouble. I'd like to start with an excerpt from the end of your book at the beginning of Chapter 8. We started this book with a contemporary paradox. Although customers have more power than ever, they are less satisfied with the businesses that serve them. As we have seen, this customer power comes from factors like ubiquitous technology, easy access to information, growing competition, and the spread of globalization. And as this book has illustrated so far, many businesses are failing to meet expectations. They're not putting the customer first 
even though many are likely to say that they do, and not building their sales proposition on the things that customers genuinely value. As a result, they are missing opportunities and getting attacked by disruptive competitors. We've examined how to tackle this problem head-on, first by developing a value proposition that is rooted in a genuine understanding of customers, and then translating it into powerful customer sales propositions. Then we look at how best to deploy appropriate sales approaches at the right time, backed up by sales stories that take customers on an emotional journey. So before we get into a discussion of, of value proposition, can you set the stage and explain how the world has changed as you outlined at the beginning of your book? Absolutely, Douglas. I think I think the, the, the one word that sums it up, if there is one word that sums it up, is complexity. And, you know, because of all those things that you mentioned that we talk about in the book, because of because of technology, because of liberalization, trade, but trade, you know, trade barriers coming down, many, many, many things. The world is the business world is ever more complex or the world in general is ever more complex. And there is there is more and more information. And yet what we see many companies still doing is using the old tools and the old ways of doing things, the old sort of analysis, the old uh, various different approaches. And complex uh, the complex world needs a different type of tool set, a different type of approach, much more of a systemic type of approach than ever before, because it, you can't just look at one piece of the one piece of the system or one piece of the jigsaw. You actually need to be able to take into account what's happening in the whole of the system. You talk about how so many businesses are still steeped in the industrial revolution. Is that part of what the problem is? I think it is. Because the industrial, you know, that, that sort of industrial model of doing business was very much looking at the individual parts of the organization and not necessarily looking at how all of those parts linked and worked together. And it's ever more important, you know, with the, with, with the whole sort of flatter organizations, less hierarchical organizations, it's essential to look at a business and, its, and the business ecosystem as a whole system. You can't just look at one part in isolation. You've got to look at how all the parts work together. So you explain that a value proposition could possibly be one of the most misunderstood business concepts. <laughs> Cindy Barnes, what is a value proposition? <laughs> Our definition of a value proposition is that it is a, it's a strategic total. Some people call it the total value proposition. Other people call it the strategic value proposition. And it's the, it's the sum of the customer experiences at every interaction across all of the organization, including all of the offerings, all of the things that you sell and the way that you sell it as well. So it's 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 a sort of subset of brand, but it's not it's not quite as it's it's much more tangible than brand. What it what it isn't is a is you know a sales silver bullet. It isn't just it isn't just a statement. Now the statement can be can come out of the value proposition work, but we've created something we call the value proposition blueprint, which is a a way of encapsulating all of those things and using it as almost like a well well it, it's a blueprint, but it's but it's like a sort of boilerplate type type tool where you can pull different things that you need out of it for different purposes, for different sales and marketing purposes or different operational purposes. And how is it that the customer 
plays uh, almost a bigger role here in terms of what the value is. In other words, it seems like there's a big dichotomy between what companies think they're offering and what is truly important to the customers. That's so true. Absolutely true. Uh, What I am always astonished, and that's not an understatement, you know, when I go into work with a new company and they have made up their value proposition themselves. It's an internally, it's an internal thing that they have created, not particularly, you know, reflective on the organization as a whole, and certainly not reflective on the marketplace and the, the, you know, the system and the customer system in which they operate. And I, I don't believe that you can create a legitimate, compelling, resilient, profitable value proposition for your company without involving customers, without involving customers and without involving your your customer-facing staff as well. And so can you give examples of how a company has been able to talk to their customers and develop a value proposition that was completely different from what they had thought they were doing? Mm, I can. I mean, I, I can give you lots of examples. Um, so we've worked with a, uh, a very innovative municipal council in the UK. Now, you wouldn't think that a council would be particularly innovative. I mean, certainly, you know, I, you know, maybe that's different on the, you know, the other side of the pond, but certainly, you know, councils and municipalities, I think you call them, the, the, are… The um, government? The government, government mm-hmm. organisations, local government organisations, yeah. Okay. And they're not known for their innovation and they're not known necessarily for their customer centricity. But we worked with a very uh, innovative local government organisation in the UK, Aylesbury, Aylesbury District Council, and a very forward-thinking and innovative CEO, um, Andrew Grant, who is really at the forefront in in local government in the UK of bringing bringing customers and customers by customers we you know in in that case we mean residents we mean local you know local residents and local businesses and local schools and all the local all the local institutions bringing them together to see what what they whether whether what the council is offering is really what's needed and adjusting their offering adjusting their offering and their value proposition so andrew has done a um you know, a big consultation exercise locally, consultation exercise with his staff and a consultation exercise with all the local residents and all the local players to find out what is really of value. And he's built that into their into their offering. And I have to say, they're, they're one of the foremost, they're one of, one of the most innovative and forward-thinking councils, local government organizations in the country. And so, their value proposition might have been different from what they had initially thought. Did they find out what's Absolutely. important to the citizens? Absolutely, they did. Absolutely, they did. And, and that's always the case, you know, always the case. Um, you know, you, you, you might find 10 particular things that are relevant, but out of those 10 particular things, it might be just two that really, really stand out. So, you have to go through the prioritization exercise of really, and this, you know, finding out what's, what really matters. And, and what really mattered to, in that case to the citizenry? Different part, different parts. So, so the, the regular citizens 
regular citizens wanted wanted their municipal services um, dealt with in a in a very uh, you know, sort of fr- Matt Dixon, you know, ex of the corporate executive board, talks about the frictionless experience, right. and they absolutely wanted a frictionless experience. You know, they wanted apps on their phone, they wanted to, they wanted thing. You know, if their if their if their garbage wasn't wasn't emptied on time, they wanted a just a you know hit hit one switch on their app to come and come and reschedule the collection. They wanted to pay their they, you know, they wanted to have things like garden waste collected. They wanted to have just just a range of services that were much much easier for the average householder, the average average person like you and me, just to make it easy because everybody has busy lives, mm-hmm. and just a, you know an app or a or a or a you know a one stop a one stop shop to fix all of those problems and to not just to fix the problems but actually anticipate the problems so one of the things that andrew's been very good at is let's you know let's let's not look at fixing problems but let's look at preempting them before they happen and being much more proactive about the type of services that we offer mm-hmm. and really really getting resident engagement and he's done that not just with residents but he's done it with businesses as well with local businesses so they've they've he's launched a range of business services specifically for businesses Oh, terrific. So when I'm reading some of this book, I'm reminded of the, another book called Buyer Personas by Adele Ravella. And, and, and in that, you know, she talks about the importance of just talking to your customers. Yeah. And she, yeah. of course, she shows, just like in your book, they, she shows exactly how to do it, all the steps. But the problem seems to be this resistance for organizations to want to talk to their customers. Why, why do you think that is like that? Well, I think it's I think it's a couple of things. I think I think companies do get very entrenched in believing their own hype internally. You know. <laughs> and I think I think there's, you know, as a psychologist, you know, you 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 would expect me to come out with, you know, there are some psychological reasons for that. What we we often find time and time again that people think that if they go and engage their customers, they're going to get a lot of negativity. And the reality is that that doesn't happen because if, if, if you think about it, if customers have chosen you to be a supplier, they want you to succeed. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a sort of psychological contract that goes on there that says, actually, if I've been smart enough to choose you as a supplier, then I should be smart enough to help you want to succeed. And I want to, I want to make you as successful as I want, you know, as, as I've chosen you because I want to be successful. So I think, uh, you know, in, in, in the many thousands of customer interviews that we have done on behalf of organizations, there have been very, very, very rarely we've had the whole sort of, you know, the negative just dredging up everything awful that's ever happened. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very, very rarely. Most of the time, it's it's uh, it's customers are very positive and they want they want you to succeed. And also, people like to be asked. You know, they really like to be asked for their help. They really like to be asked for their opinion. So if you're genuinely the the, the one of the problems comes when companies ask but they don't really mean it. 
Yes, you know, and, yes. and, and you and I both know, and I'm sure all of, you know, all of your listeners know, when you're being asked a genuine question, when somebody is really taking interest and really wants to know the answer versus when they're just doing a sort of consultation exercise because they feel they have to. How likely would you be to recommend us to a friend? It's like a, a I get the net promoter yeah. <laughs> score survey exactly. questions. And I, I don't think that they're going to really do anything with it. But if when I have had conversations with companies who say, we really want your, your feedback, and I think that they might actually value it and do something with it, <laughs> I'm happy to provide it. However, it's, it's pretty rare. You know, it's funny. I guess there's other reasons, too. People are so busy. They got their heads down. They're, they're working very hard. And sometimes when we're starting out with a new client, we go interview. We do more of the buyer persona type of interviews. And we come back to the client, and sometimes they act as if we had been speaking to the burning bush, where they mm. say, wow, I didn't know that about our customers. And I can understand how, you know, they, they just kind of, they, 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 hope it's, they hope it's going well, but they're also surprised sometime at how, how simple the request can be. What, in other words, what people mm. really want. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. I, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I'm, I have been in boardrooms with, you know, with very large global organizations where we have fed back the customer research and everybody has been on the edge of their seats because it's like, well, our customers really think this. Mm-hmm. And it's no, it's often nowhere near as complex as organizations make it. <laughs> nowhere near as complex, but but sometimes it takes. You know, that's that's the you know the, the you know consultants get a you know get a bad rap a lot of the time. But sometimes it takes that third party to come and play it back. It's so true. Um, and I recently interviewed David C. Baker about his book, The Business of Expertise, and he has this uh, expression in it that talks to that point, he says, you can't read the label when you're inside the jar. Yeah, yeah. Great quote. Yeah. So, so let's move ahead here. And let me ask you, what what should listeners understand about the difference between price and value? Mm. Well, value is value includes all of those all of those other other factors that need to be you know that, that that need to be added in to added in to price so value includes things like how do your customers weigh up the risk of using you versus using anybody else you know what's the cost to them and by cost we mean what's the risk and what's the downside of using you and also, what's the benefit? You know, we, we have a little equation, which is the, um, you know, value equals benefits minus cost uh, squared, although actually you could put to the power of five. And the reason for that is because, you know, the way that our brains work, the way that we're wired, um, and this is, you know, D- Daniel Kahneman's stuff around loss aversion and, and all of that fantastic work that, that has been done on behavioral economics. That's the word. Right. I, I think he won a Nobel Prize for that. He did. He yeah. did. Absolutely. Absolutely. He did. But th- what that shows is that, is that, is that you, have to, you have to have far, far more benefits than you do negatives. And if you build all those negative, you build all those all those positives in. You build all those benefits in to significantly outweigh the negatives. You can generally charge a, a you know a better price. 
but where where companies where companies are missing out is because they don't do the work necessary to understand the understand what go, what needs to go into the pricing you know so so value value pricing is absolutely what it says you've got to do the work to understand what are all the benefits in there what are all the benefits and what are all the downsides including all the risks and how is your customer going to weigh those up not not just not just um not just uh, cognitively but actually psychologically as well how are you going to weigh up those risks because a lot of our you know as 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 we all are beginning to understand, a lot of our purchasing decisions are not based on the purely rational. You know, they're based largely on on this 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 sort of psychological weighing up of things that we we seem to do almost instinctively. Yes, and I think that for business to business purchases, it's even more emotional than it is for somebody who's buying a new pair of socks. <laughs> Absolutely, there's, there's Absolutely. so much more at stake. Absolutely. We talk about we talk about the three aspects of, of value, one being the rational, one being the emotional or the psycho you know, and the psychological, and the other one being the socio-political, which is a you know fancy way of saying, you know, how is this gonna make me look around here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that seems to be skimmed over by a, a lot of organizations and they're not taking the time to, to understand that. So in your book, you have the 10 laws of value proposition selling. Yes. Now, the fifth law of value proposition selling is that an organization must understand and be clear about the difference between marketing and selling. Yes. Explain what you mean. Yes. Now. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. This is this has come from working with, you know, hundreds of organizations, particularly probably because of our backgrounds and you know my background particularly in you know I, I, I did engineering and physics and I, I ran very technical uh, technical things and I have a you know I'm, I'm a, a, you know quite a, um, a bit of a techie myself so we seem to be very good at working with quite technical organizations and I'd say this particularly true with technical organizations is that they ha- they're not really very clear on the difference between marketing and selling. So they understand selling, but they often understand selling purely as a transaction. You know, they don't understand necessarily some of the subtleties of selling, particularly consultative selling or complex selling that we write about in the in the book. Mm-hmm. And they certainly don't understand the importance of of market positioning, and that and that actually you need to have a marketing strategy to be able to position how you want to be perceived in the marketplace and that and that market position has to be rooted in reality it, again it can't just be made up you know it has to be really how you how you are perceived in terms of how your salespeople operate how your uh, delivery is done how your operations are done how your pricing is done that market positioning has to be a has to be a work of strategy and that's the job of strategic marketing. And what I see time and time again is that companies just don't understand. They seem to have forgotten. I mean, I was, I was, you know, part of my my early commercial training was on understanding marketing strategy. And that seems to have been, it seems to have been largely lost in favor of much more transactional selling. Hmm. So you've got to frame marketing is a longer term. Uh, activity, mm-hmm. and you know, if you, you you need to plan for 
plan for the market for a year out, two years out. And selling is much more of a, typically in most organizations, selling is much more of a short, shorter term activity. But if you, you know, if you want to generate leads and you want to generate sales in a year's time, you've actually got to have part, you know, you've got to have your marketing strategy. Right. Now you mentioned transactional selling. Can you explain the difference between transactional selling and consultative selling as you outline in the book? Yeah, yeah, consultative selling or or complex selling or you know there's various different there's various different terms for it. I think the key thing is you've got to take with consultative selling, complex selling, you've got to take a a, a leadership position with your client, with your customers and work with them to take them on a journey to solve their particular problems. Um you know one of the one of the definitions of consultative selling versus transactional selling that we developed based on some work that we did a number of years ago with Neil with Neil Rackham you know Neil Neil Rackham of of spin selling fame yes his name comes up on this podcast all the time ah uh, yes yeah yeah neil, neil has been a neil has been a um you know a friend and a mentor for many for many years we came up with this phrase uh, you know the, the the in consultative selling you don't know what you're going to sell to the customer and the customer doesn't know what they're going to what they're going to buy from you and your role is to work it out and genuinely co-create that together with the customer something you do with the customer not to something the customer, you do with it? the customer you do absolutely you do it with the customer you do it with the customer and transactional selling is is the customer knows what they want to buy you know what you're going to sell them and your role is really to communicate the value so transactional selling is very much about communicating value and consultative or complex selling is much more about co-creating value. Right. Can you talk about the related to that the the insight-led approach to selling and perhaps talk about the hospital bed manufacturer case study? Sure. Well, that again is based on, you know, is based on you've got to do the research. You've got to do the research to understand what the what the key pain points are what the key drivers are for the people that you're that you're selling to so we wouldn't have found that out we wouldn't have found out that some of the key what what some of the key issues issues were without actually doing the research and without spending time with the customers without spending time with the nurses without spending time with the doctors we wouldn't have actually found, we wouldn't have actually found out that actually the issue you know the issue is that nurses were straining you know were straining their backs having to move patients and Patients were having all sorts of problems because of the, you know, the design of the hospital beds. So you've got to do research, and that, you know, it brings me back to something that you said earlier on in our conversation about about um, uh, net promoter score, about NPS, you know, as a as a as a research tool, and whether whether people, um, you know, believe that when 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 you're asked questions, whether they're really going to take it, whether you're really going to take action. And um, one of the key things about research is that there are hundreds and hundreds of different research approaches. You know what I the other thing that I find is that people just hear the word research and they just tend to think of one or two approaches whereas the reality is that there are hundreds of research approaches and the key to doing this the key to what type of insights you want to uh, generate or what type of insights you want to find out from customers and what at what level you're creating your value proposition you've got to use the right tool for the right for the right approach Mm-hmm. So MPS, for instance, is just is one tool to use for you know a specific purpose. If you're going to do 
the more core, much more qualitative and find out why people are behaving like this, why they're behaving in certain ways and what, what their motivations are in certain ways, then you need a different set of research tools. Mm-hmm. So it's really important with research to use the right tool for the right purpose. Right. Let me just put a period at the end of the sentence as it relates to the the hospital beds. The manufacturer was having trouble getting past procurement. Their their beds were more expensive, as I recall. Mm, And mm. that's where they did some consultative selling, and they found out that one of the bigger problems, which is not a problem for the procurement people, but it was the problem for the CEO, was all these missed days because the hospital staff were injuring themselves trying to use these cheaper beds. At which point, that was the value proposition. This is the this is equipment that's going to protect and help your uh, employees not miss as much work, and things really took off for them. It was part, absolutely. It was part of the value proposition. That was that that was one of the key insights that came out of it. That that actually to 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 position this, you know, and and there are always insights that come that come like that, particularly when you're just competing on price. There's all there are always other things to look at look at other than price. But absolutely, yes, thank you for thank you for for reframing that in the the story of the hospital bed manufacturer. Because absolutely the key the key finding was that was that the um staff were having many, many absent days because of because of injuries and you know i mean nobody wants the absent days but also you know who who wants their staff to be injured on a regular basis that's you know that's just not acceptable yeah and in the case of a hospital they were turning their staff into customers no I'm absolutely <laughs> so you 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 mentioned that it's it's not uncommon for businesses to put time and effort into developing and refining a, a value proposition doing the research but then they miss out on the next crucial step of translating it into how they go to market. What, what are some of the biggest mistakes uh, that you see companies make at that point, and, and how could they avoid them? Well, I have to, I have to say one of the things that I you know one of the things I think that is not done very well. Now we bear in mind I'm saying this from the you know from the premise of the fact that we get called into many, many companies after they've been doing lots of research. So we were called into um, a very large global uh, credit card, credit card financial services organization after they had spent five years looking at this particular issue of their value proposition in, in a particular geography. And they had spent uh, lots of money doing research. They had a very big internal research team. I have to say that the the analysis of that research was not was not particularly insightful. So I think I think there's a you know it, it's first of all you've got to use the right research tools. Secondly, you've got to be able to analyze the research to actually find out some in you know to find out some real insights and to find out what the motivator what the customer motivators are what the customer drivers are why the customers are behaving in certain ways or why the customer's staff or or people you know who, whoever the community is why they're behaving in certain ways so i think first of all use the right research tools and know what research tools are available secondly you know learn how to do the analysis and 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 be you know I, i'm sorry it sounds really simple but it's it's going back to basics it's research analysis you know, and 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 there is something around actually a little bit of critical thinking around doing the analysis as well, and and a, and a bit of innovation around doing the analysis, 
because you can do analysis that gives you fairly pedestrian results or you can do analysis that gives you some insights. Mm -hmm. Do you also find that sometimes the folks on the inside of a perhaps a larger organization are just a little more fearful of telling the emperor they have no clothes? Yes, yes. Um, I, I, I don't know whether it's, I think it's probably a mixture of things. I think it's probably a little bit more fearful. Mm -hmm. And I think it's probably a little bit of institutionalization. <laughs> you know, when you've been working... You don't mean that in a mental health way, right? <laughs> when you've been working for a large organization for, you know, for some time, it's, it's you know, you, you forget, you forget what the rest of the world is like. So I think, you know, I, again, I think one of the advantages, um, you know, and she would say this, wouldn't she? Because she, you know, she she runs a consultancy. But one of the advantages of using an outside organization is, you know, we we see lots of different organizations operating in lots of different ways with lots of different challenges in many, many different sectors, in many, many ge different geographies around the world. And therefore, it's much easier for us to say, Oh look, you know, you could do this creatively if you did X, Y, Z, because we've seen it in other organisations. Whereas if you're just working for one organisation, it's I think you get a little bit entrenched in your ways. Yes, yes, very true. So, can you walk us through? Let's say, let's say somebody, the, an organisation develops their value pro proposition. They've done the research and good analysis. Let's get down to what are some of the building blocks of assembling then the sales proposition so that truly the whole organization is is aligned. In terms of the sales proposition, you've got to have you've got to have at least a, a good building blocks for whatever your offerings are going to be, good building blocks for whatever your solutions are going to be. You know, one of the again, again one of the issues that we see quite often is that companies will say they want to move into solution selling. You know, they want to move away from product selling. They want to move into solution selling, but they haven't necessarily thought what those solutions might look like or what those solutions actually might be. And the fact that they need to compile those solutions and, and that they need to sell those solutions in a completely different way. So the first step is, you know, let's let's have a look at your let's have a look at actually what you want to be selling as far as the sales proposition, the sales proposition is concerned, there has to be, you know, there has to be com some compelling benefits, and the, those benefits have to speak to what the customers really care about. You know, in, in in terms of like the hospital bed manufacturer that we talked about, you know, what the what was what was keeping the CEO awake at night was the was was the number of staff absent absences. So how so how you know so in th that was a, that's an example of a of a very good sales proposition that whole that whole customer bed bed manufacturer story. Yes, and on page eighty seven of your book, there was uh, thank you <laughs> one, one of many things that I I you know could have carved in stone, and it was when you said customers may care about the quality of the product, but they care far more about what it means for them. What customers mm. truly care about are their own problems. Yes. <laughs> Bravo. Yeah. I mean, it's no different to most of us, isn't it? It's most different. That's the human condition. You know, what, what we most care about, what we most care about is our own problems. Yeah. Um, so, so if you're trying to, you know, shoehorn something to solve my problem and it isn't, it doesn't, it isn't really my problem, you know, it isn't, it, it's more of an issue for you than it is for me, then I'm not going to be that interested in it. <laughs> right. That's so true. Well, finally, let me just ask about this one other concept. Can you explain the, the concept of a sales story and why 
a good salesperson should be a storyteller? Well, I think you know, and and Matt, you know, Matt Dixon and uh, and his colleagues when they wrote the Challenger Sale, mm-hmm. one of my favorite arti- books. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, Matt, you know, they talk about that. They talk about the sales choreography in the Challenger Sale, and they give a wonderful example of it with the Granger the Granger case study. But uh, but storytelling in general, because it because it you know from a psychological point of view, because it it speaks to a different part of our brains. You know, if you know, you and I are talking at the moment. We're talking quite in a, in quite a rational way. We're talking about sort of rational subjects in rational ways. But if I was to start telling you a story, you know, and I, I mean, you and you've you've invited me to tell the story about the hospital bed manufacturer, which is a little a little snippet of a story. But if we were going to tell that in a much more compelling way, we were going to tell the whole story of the CEO and the hospital and the and the hospital bed manufacturer and the nurses and what the nurses said. If we were going to tell that in a compelling story way, it it it, it speaks to a different part of our brains. It actually gets our attention in a completely different way, and makes us interestingly it makes us relax. The power of stories is that they have a different, they have absolutely a different psychological approach. And if it's a genuine story, and, and, you know, one of the things that we talk about consistently in our, in our books is you can't, don't fake this stuff, you know, don't make it up. It has to be absolutely genuine, absolutely authentic. You have to mean it. And when you're telling a customer a genuine story about a genuine about a genuine uh, not another client or a case study that really worked, or you're telling them even their story about what you found in their organisation. People are absolutely compelled by it. You know, we 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 naturally love that the that arc, the natural arc of the story. Mm-hmm. It's like, and not just because you're in the UK right now, but I, I, I'm always thinking about that scene from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, <laughs> where King Arthur goes up to the castle. And John Cleese is playing a French soldier up on the parapet, and he starts hurling insults at King Arthur. He goes, I'm, I'm King Arthur. You've got to let me in. And he says, no, your mother was a hamster, and your father smelled of elderberry. Go away. <laughs> well, I think of that as like trying to break through to uh, a, a customer. And they're not yeah. going to let that drawbridge down until they start to hear a story. It, yeah. it really is so interesting how... We are wired for stories, and I think we were wired for stories how many years before there was ever any form of writing? <laughs> I think so. I so. absolutely think so. I think it, it relaxes our whole, you know, our whole nervous system when we, when we start hearing stories because we understand that you know, there's a narrative arc to, to all stories, and we understand that narrative arc. Mm-hmm. And it's that narrative arc that, you know, that, Matt, that Matt wrote about in The Challenger Sale. You know, and, and there's very, you know, various other brilliant, brilliant storytellers that have written books on how to tell how to tell business stories and how to do storytelling in business. Mm-hmm. One of the books that was on the podcast, of the, which was really good about this, was Sell with a Story by Paul Smith. Uh, and he went into great detail about all the different types of stories. But he, of course, he starts it out explaining, as did you, about how the, the human brain is just wired for stories. It'll stop what it's doing to listen to a story. So Absolutely. Cindy, what are some examples of uh, marketers who have successfully understood value proposition and and, and put it into practice? Mm. Well, I think I think there's a couple of market I, I'm not sure whether they would describe themselves as marketers or or sales 
expert sales gurus. But 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 definitely, uh, we've talked already about Neil Rackham. He's definitely one. Also, Dave Brock. Dave Brock absolutely gets this. And Mike Kunkel as well. Mike Kunkel absolutely gets this. So, uh, two two very experienced US-based sales bloggers, sales experts. Well, we'll make sure to include links to their blogs at your episode show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. So, Cindy, please tell the listener how they could win a copy of your book. Well, Douglas, the, the, the simplest way to win a copy of my book is if they can use my Twitter handle, which is Cindy underscore Barnes. And tell me the favorite line from their, from a Monty Python film. Excellent. And they need to include marketing book, which is my Twitter handle, because I want to enjoy this as well. So they need to include Cindy underscore Barnes, B-A-R-N-E-S, and they need to include marketing book and include your favorite line from a Monty Python movie, and you could be the lucky winner. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Cindy, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? That this isn't this isn't just something that the sales department has to do or the marketing department has to do. This is really an organizational approach. You know, moving into this complexity in business that we have today needs an organizational wide approach. Yeah, and you talked about how silos now are almost more troublesome than they were in the past. Oh, hugely, hugely, yeah. because you can't just look at one department or one area in isolation. You have to have you have to look at how it how it's how it's linked as part of the system, how it works as part of the system with all the other all the other departments or all the other areas. But the other thing I'd say is, you know, that makes it sound very complicated. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be really, it, it doesn't have to be difficult. It just takes, you know, a, a different type of, a different type of approach and a different view. Mm -hmm. So, Cindy, what books have inspired your work and career? Well, there's lots, there's you lots. The I mean, Challenger Sale. Yeah, the Challenger Sale, Matt, uh, Matt and his, and his, um, you know, Red the, Adamson, uh-huh frictionless buying experience or I think it has to be I mean Neil Rackham's you know rethinking the sales force was a was a key one in in thinking about this you know how you how you look at this system-wide approach to the sales teams there's some more recent books there are a couple of books by a British author called Giles Hutchins called The Nature of Business and Future Future Fit which are all about redesigning business for resilience, you know, redesigning business because of complexity for resilience. There's a couple of books by Simon and Maria Robinson. He's ju they've just written a new book called Customer Experiences with Soul, which is an excellent book. Oh, I did not know about that one. Mm. This is how I find guests <laughs> for the show. Yeah. And Dave Gray. Dave Gray from uh, Explain has written, um, you know, his, his the Connected Company, and he's he's uh, last year published his latest book called Liminal Thinking, which absolutely is a you know is a must for for business leaders about about how to think in different ways and how to how to change our 
belief systems so that we're more open to thinking in different ways. Interesting. Well, we'll, we'll find these books and put links to them in your show notes at mm. marketingbookpodcast.com. I'm writing feverishly here. So uh, <laughs> that's great. So, Cindy, how best can listeners learn more about you and your book? The best way that listeners can learn more about uh, about me and the book is uh, obviously the uh, the website, our website at futurecurve.com. And you're Cindy underscore Barnes uh, on Twitter, right? Uh, Cindy underscore Barnes on Twitter, yep. Okay. We'll make sure to include links to all those things so the listeners can reach out to you and, and, and find out more about you. The name of the book is Selling Your Value Proposition, How to Transform Your Business into a Selling Organization. The authors are Cindy Barnes, Helen Blake, and Tamara Howard. Cindy, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. And Douglas, thank you so much for the for the welcome and for the introduction to do the podcast in the first place. It's been an absolute pleasure. And that closes the book on episode 152 of the Marketing Book Podcast. Links to everything linkable in the interview you just listened to are at marketingbookpodcast.com. And that's also where you can sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. And if you have any feedback on or suggestions to improve the show, or perhaps if I can make a book recommendation for you, I'd love to hear from you. Just go to marketingbookpodcast.com and leave me a message or tweet at me. My Twitter handle is marketingbook or connect with me on LinkedIn. My name again is Douglas Burdett. And please join us next time as we welcome Daniel McGinn to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his book, Psyched Up, How the Science of Mental Preparation Can Help You Succeed. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Cindy, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Douglas, thank you very much. It's been an absolute, absolute pleasure. And thank you again for the, uh, for the, um, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> For the invitation? <laughs> For the invitation. Thank you. Thank you, Douglas. Yes. Hopefully we can edit that out. <laughs>